0: Thank you. Online, we welcome you. We just want to let you know that we had to shovel our way out of our driveways this morning, didn't we? We had to dig our way to church. So this is the first crowd this morning, so kudos to you for making it here for the early service today. Yeah. We won't even think about where Pastor John is right now. But anyway, we're glad to be here, aren't we? So any of you hang around little kids very often, or maybe you have kids, you will know this to be true. If kids want something they usually get it. And there's a very profound reason why. Because they drive you crazy until you give it to them. I mean, let's think about this. You know, whether it's, I'm hungry, I'm hungry before dinner, I want that snack, and I can't wait, and they're pestering and pestering and pestering, and what do we do? We just Okay, here, you know, take a bite to eat. Or we're in the store, and it's like, I want that toy, I really want mom, I really want that toy, or dad, or, you know what I mean? And right or wrong, pester, 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 we find ourselves giving in, you know, whether it's I want to stay up later, or I want to borrow the car, or whatever it is, kids have a way of being very persistent. And often, it just plain wears us out, or wears us down till we give in. Well, today we're going to be talking about prayer, and actually Jesus is going to be talking about prayer right from the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been following for weeks. And he, you know, there's more serious matters at hand than ice cream before dinner, or whether you get the toy that you want, or whether you can stay up later at night or borrow the car. I mean, we have serious things in our life that we want. We want healed relationships, right? We want renewed health. We want our finances to get in order. We want a job. We need healing from an illness. There are really big things in our life that we actually seriously want. In the last couple months, um, some people that I love deeply in my life have been going through a very difficult time. And as I've been going through this difficult time, I mean, you wish that you could fix it for them, you wish that you could take it away from them, right? So we prayed, and we prayed, and we're still praying. Days, weeks, months. We are persisting God in prayer on their behalf. We are asking God to do something that only he can do. So we pray. More waiting, more asking, more praying. Do you have something in your life? And maybe it's been there for many, many years. Something that you are asking God for. Something that you're waiting. You're actually desperate And it's something that only God can do. Well, I want you to listen very closely to Jesus' words this morning. We're going to answer three questions this morning. And the first question is this. Is God open and willing to hear my prayers? Is God open and willing to hear my prayers? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 because Jesus says these words. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. So what do you hear in these verses? Ask, seek, knock. I hear that persistent child. Do you hear that? Jesus tells us that when we pray, we need to be persistent. We aren't to give up. We aren't to be casual about it. We are to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I mean, think about the relationship, parent and child, or, you know, auntie and child, whatever your relationship is. They want the food. They come to you. You're, you're cooking dinner, and it's, I'm starving, mom. I can't wait for dinner. And, you know, they're just, you know, pestering you, and you turn to get the carrot stick, because usually you think that's probably a good thing to hold them over. And when you turn around to give it to them, they're gone. They're off playing somewhere. And you think, well, good grief. You couldn't have been that hungry. You know, if you were that easily distracted. And that's sometimes the way we are with God. You see, he says we need to be persistent when we ask. And then, like children, he'll know we're really hungry for the answer. Rick Warren says this. He tweeted this. Persistence purifies my prayers. If I won't pray about it more than once, it's probably just a whim. It's not a request. Hmm. I had to think about that, and I thought about my own prayer life. And I thought about the th- how careless I can be in my prayer life, how I can just sort of pray on a whim or maybe it's my last-ditch effort." Anybody else? We do all our stuff, and then we say, well, maybe I should pray about it, right? You see, persistence in prayer purifies our motives. All through the Sermon on the Mount, have you heard a theme that Pastor John has been teaching us? That Jesus is always getting to motives, isn't he? Every single week that we've looked at this sermon and what Jesus has for us, he's always getting at our motives. Do you really want God to answer your prayer? Or are you just actually trying to feel better? Are you maybe even looking for attention? Or you just actually want to get something off your chest? What is your motive for coming to God? You see, 1 Chronicles tells us, as David was talking to his son Solomon, he said this to him, Acknowledge the God of your father, Solomon. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart, And he understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. You see, God knows your heart. It's a matter of what you're actually devoted to, what you are devoted to. Do you really want his answer? Do you really want his kingdom? Do you want his will? He's actually not trying to hide from you. Do you see that in that verse? He says, he will not be hard to find. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But notice that you're seeking him. It's not about what you're seeking. It's about who you're seeking. It's a matter of wholehearted devotion to him. Do you want him do you actually want god do you actually want what god wants his kingdom his purposes you see it goes back to the very beginning of the sermon on the mount in chapter 5 verse 3 we were taught this verse blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now do you remember what we learned about the poor in spirit Those who are poor in spirit are those who actually understand their great need of God. See, when you're poor in spirit, you are desperate for God. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus is not a flash in the pan. It's not turning over a new leaf to feel better today and then off to the next thing tomorrow. You see, when trouble comes, you easily give up. No, no, no. Being a follower of Jesus is actually a persistent journey of pursuing him, of being more like him. It's realizing that you're actually completely poverty-stricken. You're actually completely desperate without Christ, that you can't do anything in your life without the power of Christ. The more you realize, listen up, the more you realize how desperate you are, how poor in spirit you really are, the greater your prayer life will be the greater your prayer life will be. You see, the act of asking, seeking, and knocking is saying, I need you, God. I am powerless. I am ineffective. I am weak. Our culture teaches us completely the opposite, doesn't it? You don't need anything, right? Don't we value independence, We value working things out in our own strength. It's called self-sufficiency. You want to kill your prayer life? Live like that. You will kill your prayer life if you do not realize how poor in spirit you really are. If you want to live your life independent, self-sufficient, you probably won't pray very much. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11. I love how Jesus tells us stories to help us understand it. So listen to one of Jesus' stories. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I mean, this guy's desperate for a late-night snack, it sounds like. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, these are Jesus' words, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. There it is again. This guy is really wanting that midnight snack. I mean, he is desperate for bread. The friend gives it to him. Why? Because he's such a good friend? No, because he just pestered him to death, right? Shameless audacity. It's that persistent child that just keeps asking and asking. He didn't quit asking until he got what he wanted. Does this sound Like the appropriate, let's say, the politically correct way to approach God? Well, apparently yes. Because Jesus is the one who tells us to approach God like that. Does that surprise some of you? Listen to the progress of asking, seeking, and knocking. When you ask... You, by the way, will not ask anything if you don't realize you have a need for something. Right? Asking is the beginning of your awareness of your need. Poor in spirit. That's the beginning of prayer. We begin to ask because we have a need. Listen to seeking. Seeking is a proactive word, isn't it? We're asking plus we act. We actually go out looking for it. When you seek for something, you're expecting to find, right? You're pursuing something. So asking begins with you recognizing you actually need something. Seeking is you know you're actually desperate and you put action behind it. You are expecting an answer. You are pursuing. You are looking for something. And knocking is asking plus this act of seeking plus perseverance. You are determined to get what you want. When you go to someone's house and you knock on the door, if you just do this, one knock, what happens? Usually nothing, right? The people in the house are sitting there going, did you hear something? I don't know. Did something fall over? Right? When you come to a door, what do you do? You knock on the door, And if they don't answer, usually you give it another try and you knock again on the door until someone answers. Do you see that these are present tense verbs? In another versions, it'll say, keep on asking, keep on seeing, keep on knocking. You see, persistence in prayer, it purifies our motives, doesn't it? How bad do you actually want it? Persistence also shows us that we really actually want an answer from God. We are seeking an answer from God. And persistence demonstrates that we're not looking for any other option. We are actually not pursuing any other option. We want to hear from Him. We will only settle to hear and to see the action of God on our behalf. Do you hear that? Well, Jesus tells us another story. So in case you didn't get it from the first story, listen to the second story he tells. And this is found in Luke 18. And I'll read it to you from the message version. Well, Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to what? Pray consistently and never quit. What is, what's the word for that? Persistence, right? Get it? Pray consistently, never quit. And he said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought, and he cared absolutely nothing for people. Well, a widow in the city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went, here it is, on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. Really nice guy, huh? But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Sounds like a dangerous scenario. So then Jesus says, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to what? Cry out to him, Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much, how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? You see, God is looking for people like that widow. He actually wants you to behave that way. He wants you to have persistent faith. Did you catch the last line? How much of that kind of persistent faith will Jesus find on the earth when he returns? Wow, that's a convicting question, isn't it? Would you say that you have persistent faith? You see, he's looking for people with persistent faith. No quitting faith. Not when the chips are down, I'm going to get out. This is fully devoted. This is not divided faith. This is full commitment to, what, to who God is and what he wants. And here's the kicker. God loves to answer our prayers. He loves it. Verse 8. For everyone who asks, what do they get? Say it. Receive. Everyone who seeks, what happens? And the one who knocks, what happens? The door is open. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door is open. Everyone, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every rich person, every poor person. Doesn't matter your station in life, your geography in life, your position in life, your gender in life. You will receive, you will find, the door will be open. Now let me clarify. This is not name it and claim it theology. I need a car, I'm going to name it and claim it in Jesus' name, and I get it. Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely not. Can you imagine if God gave everything that his children asked for, if he gave them everything they asked for? I mean, yikes. If If God answered yes to every one of my prayers, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. You know what I'm saying? What if you gave your kids absolutely everything they asked for? What do you get? What's the result of that? A mess, an absolute disaster. You get spoiled, rotten, self-centered, self-entitled kids. Right? We all know this. Our society is full of them. God's way is this. I am interested in your character, over your comfort. Right? So here's question one. Is God open and willing to hear our prayers? What's the answer? Yes. Question two. Then what does persistent faith look like? So if I have enough faith, faith then I get what I want? Well, you see, That theology is called faith-word teaching, and this is what that theology tells us. Just have enough faith. It all relies on your faith, and you'll get what you want, right? You don't have answers to prayer. Why? Because you don't have enough faith. Is that what the Word of God teaches us? Well, let me take you to James. James chapter 1 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, if we were careless with scripture, we could say, "Well, there it is. It proves it, right?" Just you you got to have enough faith. As long as you believe, just never doubt you'll get everything that you ask for. Well, you see, is that what this is saying? If you have any doubts, when you're praying, that God won't answer your prayer? If you lack faith, then God won't answer your prayer. If you don't have enough faith, then God won't answer your prayer. Well, you see, Pastor John, just a few weeks ago, was teaching on the book of James to the 905 community, and this is what he said. We do not put, have faith in faith itself. We do not have faith in faith itself. You see, the key phrase in this verse here is double-minded, which actually can be translated double-souled, which is a person that's actually divided between friendship with God and friendship with the world. That person is like a fence-sitter, right? They're not committed to partnership with God. And by the way, prayer is the activity of partnering with God. Prayer is where we and Christ work as partners for His kingdom. Doubt, one wrote, is not intellectual doubt, but a basic conflict in loyalties. You see, the Sermon on the Mount actually addressed this earlier. You cannot serve both God and money. That's having divided loyalties, isn't it? Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For a slave with either the hate will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in wealth. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Do you trust Him and Him alone? Are you committed to His purposes, to His kingdom coming, to His will be, being done? How can you expect God to answer your prayers? if you don't actually trust him. You see, not having enough faith is an issue of divided loyalties. His kingdom or the world's kingdom. Where do you put your faith? Is your faith, you can say, well, yeah, I'm t- all for God's kingdom. But then here's how it works out. God works in our lives, you see, according to f- our faith. So many times we'll say to God, God, would you please guide me? Right? I want, I want God, I'm praying, I want you to guide me. But then we actually walk away and we go it alone. We, we impatiently work things out. We use our own methods, our own techniques. We get frustrated and we've asked God for guidance, but then we take off and do it by ourselves. Here's another thing. We come to God and we say, God, I really need wisdom. Help me make the right decision. But then our divided loyalty is like, but I really need to figure it out on my own because the world tells me this and other people tell me this and we don't really actually de- expect him, you know, to, to tell us, and we still think it all depends on us. Do you see how easy it is to have divided loyalties? Our pattern is this. Ask God and go rogue. I, I mean, that. I just admit it. I do that. I come to God to ask him, and then I just go rogue. You know, like I've asked him, I've prayed, and then it's like, oh yeah, somehow I have to take this in my own hands, Right? It's so difficult for me to take, lay off the controls. Trust God. You see, I want to figure it out. I'm not actually desperate for Him to act. I worry. Ooh, didn't we talk about that a couple weeks ago? Oh, darn. I worry, I fret, I, I I scheme, I try to figure things out. I fret and I fuss and I you know, is that what God is saying? Divided loyalties. Do you see that? What's God got to do? We come and ask, and then we go rogue. We go our own way. Well, here's what God does. He waits. He waits. He's very patient with us until we're actually willing and ready and desperate enough for him to answer our prayers and for him to actually act on our behalf. I mean, I can just imagine sometimes God watching me in my life. You know, I come and ask for something, and then I take off and I do my lorry thing. You know, I somehow got it figured out. And I can just imagine my patient, loving Heavenly Father's going, okay, like, are you done already? Are you, excuse me, like, I'd really like to act on your, you finished over there. You know what I mean? Like, he just watches me in my inability to trust him fully. Here's when I get really good at prayer. When tough times happen. You too? You got an illness. You're praying for your child. Finances are running out. Relationships are breaking down. Don't we get really good at persistent prayer right about then? What about, instead of being persistent only in those difficult times, what if our persistence in our prayer life had us praying for things like spiritual growth in our life? What if we actually asked for the character of Christ? Like we're so desperate for the character of Christ, we can't stop asking for it. Like, God, purify my mind. Help me with my rebellion. God, give me a forgiving spirit. Are we asking those things of God? Or are we always focused on comfort prayers? Change my circumstances. Remove my pain. You see, verses Change my mind, give me your perspective, heal my heart, help me with my emotions, right? Your kingdom, your way. So, question one is God open and willing to hear my prayers? Yes. And what is persistent faith? Well, we see it demonstrated in the stories he told and in that faith that will settle for nothing but God's kingdom. So let me ask the third question. Does God want to give me good things? This gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? And Jesus realizes this. And so he says in Matthew 7, Well, which of you, if your son or daughter asks for bread, that you'll give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil... You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Does God want to give me good things? Yes, but here's the thing. It depends, if you, it, whether you believe this or not, depends on how you answer this question. Is God a giver or is he a taker? How do you answer that question? Is God a giver or is he a taker? Let me put it this way. Is God a good dad or is he a bad dad? You see, we can acknowledge in our head that we believe this, that he gives us good things, but if you cannot settle up on this very question, you will have trouble being persistent in your faith. Who is your God? Is he a giver or is he a taker? Is he a good dad or is he a bad dad? You see, if you believe that God is a taker, that he is a bad dad, here's often the way that we act in life. We won't go to him because we don't trust him. So you won't find yourself praying, talking to him very much because He's not trustworthy. He's a bad dad. He may do something bad to me. He may take something from me. I'll be honest. There's times in my life where I didn't pray because I was actually afraid that maybe God was going to bring something bad in my life. Does anybody else relate to that? And underneath that, I actually was believing that God was a taker, wasn't I? Here's what else. We rebel against bad dads, right? We get mad We get sad, we get defeated, and we quit. Do you know the children of Israel, they viewed God as a bad dad, as a taker. Listen to Deuteronomy 32. But Israel, they soon became fat and unruly. Now, if you want to become fat and unruly, I'm just saying, have this view of God. God. Then what did they do? They abandoned the God who had made them, and they made light of the rock of their salvation. Isaiah 63 says, yet they rebelled and they grieved the Holy Spirit. Rebellion is often a sign in our life that God is a taker, that he is a bad dad. It's the same as saying, I cannot trust him. You see, the enemy wants you to believe this. He wants you to believe that this is true, that God does not care for you, that he will abandon you, that he will only bring uh, difficult things into your life, that he will not meet your needs. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from Satan, and that is how he so often works in our life. When we believe the enemy and we accept those lies as truth, we will not persevere in prayer, will we? You might not even dare to ask him anything. He's a taker. He's a bad dad. But here's the truth. And here is what you need to choose to deeply, profoundly believe in your life. That God is a giver. He is a good dad. Someone needed to hear that this morning. He is a good dad. You see, when you have a good dad, you come to him, don't you? You're not afraid. You trust him, and you will wait on him. when When he tells you to wait, you will trust him. You will press on, and you will persevere. So how do you wait on God if God says, wait? Well... We're here in Habakkuk 2. I love this verse. It says, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself. I will station myself on the ramparts, on the, t- on the, the, the towers. I will look to see that he, what he will say to me. What does it mean to station yourself before God? Well, Rick Warren says it means to actually stay put. You're saying, I'm not moving. I'm going to be still. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to expect and wait for my good dad to show up. You see, the writer is actively looking to see what his good dad will do. He's expecting an answer. You see, good dads, they know what's good for you, right? And they also know when it's a good time to give it to you, right? They know what's good for you, and they know when it's a good time to give it to you. But here's the problem we have. We have worry, and we have hurry, You see, worry and hurry are best friends, and they are the death of prayer. The reason that you never hear God speak to you may be because you don't actually station yourself, you will not wait long enough, and God does not tend to shout his answers to us when we're running out the door, off to take care of things ourselves. You see, if you see God as a good dad, as a giver, you'll approach him like a tenacious child, Right? You want to talk to him. You are. This is family-style prayer. And Jesus tells, it to, uh, tells us to do it this way. When you're in a family, you know you belong, you know you've got a good dad, you can run and literally jump up into his lap, right? And you can tell him what you need whenever you want. He's always ready to hear it. God wants you to talk to him like you talk to anyone else, by the way. Some of you maybe just think, I don't know how to pray, and those people that use those fancy words, and I can't pray, you know, like what I hear on on the the platform. Well, you know what? Who cares? Like, God just wants you to talk to him. He just wants you to be a tenacious, persistent child and come to daddy and talk to him. He doesn't want worry and hurry to steal from you. Do you believe that God is a good dad? Do you really believe it? It'll change your prayer life. You know, I get a lot of people that come into my office I have the privilege of spending time with. And not too long ago, someone came in and was chatting with me and said, I'm, not a, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm going anywhere in my Christian life. I'm, I'm feeling kind of stuck in neutral. So I asked them, you know, what do you think the problem is? And the response was this. I think my problem is that, um, sorry, I think my problem is I just don't love God enough. They thought their problem wasn't that they didn't love God enough. You know, I had to take that moment to tell them that's really not their problem. You see, their problem was that they, don't, they didn't, don't really know how much God loves them. See, the more that you understand that you have a good dad, that he adores you, you're driven by love. That's what makes you want to talk to him. First John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. When you say, I don't love God, it's because you don't actually understand how much he loves you. He cares about every detail of your life. He is the source of all good gifts. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, comes from above. And I mean, these are good gifts. Even those who don't follow Jesus get good gifts in this world, right? The gifts of creation, the gifts of life. I mean, everyone, even... Those who don't follow Christ get the good gifts of God in this world. But you see, we're talking about redemptive gifts, those gifts that are for his followers. When you, so you have to sort of ask yourself, well, what is a good gift? See, we, sometimes in our mind we, we talk about being blessed and we use that kind of language as Christians. But what really is a good gift? What really is a blessing from God? Are blessings only those things that make us feel good, are they, they things like the provisions that we have in our life, like money and fame and, and this North American culture of stuff? Like all of that, are they good things? Well, but yes, but that's not the good gifts God's talking about. That's temporary. You see, if that was true, if the good gifts that God wants to give you, back to the name it and claim it theology, that God wants you to be rich and wealthy, well, by the way, it's just not in Scripture. And, and if you go, Angela was just, you know, on a mission trip. She just told us this morning, like, most of the world doesn't live the way we live. So does God not give them good gifts? I mean, if we think that good gifts from God are about meeting all of our physical needs and all these physical stuffs, then guess what? Most of the world doesn't get the good gifts then, right? God is not about money and wealth and temporary stuff and material things. God wants to give you good gifts. You know, the prosperity gospel would tell us that God wants you to be rich. Well, that is not what Scripture teaches. God wants you to be rich in faith. He wants you to have those kinds of good gifts. We're actually warned not to pursue wealth and stuff, aren't we? See, God's economy, good gifts and blessings are actually redemptive gifts. Forgiveness. Deliverance from evil. Our salvation is a gift. Having faith. Love, joy, peace, patience, all the gifts of the Spirit. These are good gifts. And here is the most profound thing about the economy of God. Good gifts come in strange packages. James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trouble, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, here it is, it will produce what? Say it. Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Is that not a good gift? It's a good gift. You see, this is the way of God. He, wants ask, he actually wants us not to lack anything. And in order to not lack anything in our life to be fully who God wants us to be, we need to persevere in trials. Persevering in prayer because he changes you when you pray. He's a good dad. He is only able to give children good gifts. You see, he says, you being evil, you, tend, you can even give good gifts. But think about God. God is good. Pastor Angela reminded us that this morning. He is good good. He is unable to be anything but good. Do you believe that? So if you are totally good from head to toe, everything about you is totally good, are you able to give evil things? No. God is only able to give you good things. It's so profound. Tom Wright summarizes this passage this way. He said, for most of us, the problem is not that we're too eager to ask for the wrong things, the problem is that we, are not, that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. So how do we ask for the right things, for the good gifts? Luke 11 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit for those who ask Him? You see, every good and perfect gift actually comes from above, and it comes from the Spirit. The Spirit will tell you how to ask for the right things. He'll tell you the Spirit will give you the perseverance to keep on seeking in the right direction. The Spirit will help align you to God's will. The Spirit will put the desires of God into you so that you'll actually start asking for the good things. Romans 8 says it this way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Isn't that so true? But the Spirit himself. He intercedes for us through wordless groans. The result? You get good gifts, and then you even know better what to ask for. Ephesians reminds us that we not only get good gifts, we get above and beyond anything that we can even begin to imagine to ask for, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. There's that faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, do you know that you have a good dad, that may you may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp this grasp this how wide how long how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do what immeasurably more than all we could ever begin to ask for isn't that amazing He's a good dad. To know his love beyond all understanding, he gives good gifts to his children. When we ask, when we seek, we knock, we do it because he loves us. And he wants to show this to the world. Jesus summarizes this. He says, I'm a good dad. I give you good gifts. I'm unable to do anything else other than that. I love you. Will you trust me? Live your life this way, so in everything, verse 12. So in everything I've taught you in the Sermon of the Mount, so in how you view your money, in how you deal with anger, in how you deal with relationships, in how you pray, listen to this, the golden rule. Do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this actually sums it all up. You see, when this golden rule in many religions would be stated in the negative, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus actually flips it on its head and turns it upside down, and he says, do to others what you would have them do to you. What is he saying? It's a positive statement. It moves us to action. See, if we look at the negative side of this, you know, even if I don't murder, if I don't lie, if I don't steal, if I don't, you know, view my money wrongly and Uh, I mean, all those things. If I don't do that, it may seem like you're being a good person, that you're doing enough, because you're successfully not doing those things. So the question is, what are you doing? See, Jesus says, be the initiator. Complete obedience is you do unto others. You do it first. You pray for others. You treat others the way I've taught you to treat them. Actively treating others. Show them the heart of God. Show people that you have a good dad. Love them the way I love you. You take the initiative. Colossians 4 says then, continue steadfastly in prayer. Persevere. Be persistent. Being watchful. Always seeking. Always knocking. And do it with thanksgiving. And by the way, pray for us also. Pray for one another. So God loves our prayers. God loves to answer our prayers. God loves us, and he's a good dad. We're to love like this. That's how we live our life. Are you able to pray this kingdom come prayer? Would you bow your heads? And if you're able, pray this quietly in your heart along with me. God... God, you're a good dad. Do anything in my life, do anything in this church, in this region, for your glory, for my freedom, and so the world will see Jesus clearly. Amen. We have a good, good father. We have a good dad. He laid down his life for us. We're going to be taking communion. And when we take communion, you know, we're told in scripture that communion is is actually a picture again. It's like a story that Jesus is telling us. He's saying, when you take the bread, you're going to be reminded that I'm your provision. I will give you all the good gifts. I'll give you above and beyond anything you can even begin to think to ask for. I'm a good dad. And that bread reminds us that God will provide all of your needs. And and when you take the wine... You're reminded that he shed his blood for you, that you have a God who loved you so much that he died for you, that he spilled out his blood on the cross of Calvary. When you put your full trust in him, do you want God's kingdom or do you want your own? Will you persevere and go after the heart of God? As you take communion, ask yourself those questions. God, am I fully trusting you? Do I want your kingdom in my life? Do I believe that you're a good dad? Today, if you know that father and you're right with him, you take communion and you remember him. If you don't know Jesus yet, you, you're not sure if you want to follow him, well, it's a good place to meet him right here at the communion time. But I encourage you, just let it pass by as you reflect on what we've heard this morning. But can I just tell you, Do you need a good dad? Because Jesus is that. And that's why we follow him, because he gives good things to his children. He loves us. He'll take care of you. He provides more than you could ever ask for in your life. And that's why he says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I love you. I love to give you the good things. So let's pray together as the ushers come and they'll serve us. You can just Stay in your seats and take this time to just reflect on your relationship with God. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're a giver, not a taker. Forgive us. Forgive us for even thinking that you could do less than that. When we take this bread, we acknowledge you're a great provider. We'll never be without When we take this wine, we acknowledge that you laid down your life for us. You have shed your blood to demonstrate how much you love us. So we take it today to remember you, to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.